The goal of this podcast is to enable a better understanding of music as a fundamental part of Latvian culture. Viena Balsi means in one voice. One voice for each guest and one voice when people unite under one cultural identity. We do this work only with our personal resources. If you want to support us, donate on paypal.me slash Vienna Balsi. A video version of this interview is available on YouTube. And now, enjoy listening. Lux Programme Vienna Balsi. Today we are very glad to receive Gundega Schmitte. Gundega is a Latvian composer located uh, in Thessalonic, Greece. She is also a teacher in the Latvian Academy of Music. Uh, thanks to be here with us. Um, usually I start asking uh, composers and performers and people who are invited to speak about their biographies but I feel like I would like with you to get maybe sooner right into uh, how I uh, view you and hear and listen to your music and uh, if it's okay with you. Um, while I was listening uh, to your work, I had this intuition that it's sometimes like some kind of impressionist paintings. Uh, and then suddenly I realize that you made a Van Gogh cycle and you are interested in what is uh, Marc Chagall. And so I would like to have your your thoughts about this um, this intuition I had that seems to be uh, accurate. Sometimes also I have a feeling that in your pieces uh, they are like some kind of conceptual character embodied by each one by an instrument. So um, yeah. Uh, thank you, Gilles, first of all, for your invitation to participate in your program. And uh, secondly, thank you for your observation, which is um, really um, something very substantial about my music. And um, yes, indeed, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned this um, connection between music and uh, painting uh, or colors which really, to some extent, naturally comes to me when I am about to compose. Mm -hmm. uh, I am not having exactly synesthesia, which is this color hearing, mm -hmm. which many composers uh, are having, so that I would hear a note uh, do sharp and I would see always, let's say, a bright green color. It's not always um, exactly like this, but to some extent, I think, uh, uh, it is something that uh, I have in my brain structure that when I hear music, I always uh, see uh, some shapes, colors, they just appear and uh, it's out of control. Mm -hmm. <laughs> even if I want to ignore it and just to listen to music, sometimes I even find it problematic when I uh, go with um, friends to drink coffee in a, in a nice place and there is a background music i cannot sometimes concentrate on on conversation because always these shapes um, colors just mm. they are rolling <laughs> in a background and i cannot uh, control it they are just there in my mind and um, yes i am for sure the composer who is uh, um, translating my um, impulses in sounds, but usually these uh, impulses are related to some uh, um, colors, shapes that 
start in my mind. Now I speak about kind of retrograde process. Mm-hmm. And um, true, uh, you mentioned also the cycles that uh, have been uh, composed after paintings of uh, specific artists. I also have uh, um, a concerto, actually not performed yet, for flute, bassoon and orchestra after um, paintings of uh, Paul Klee. Uh, I have a um, piece uh, for string orchestra and electronics, yellow, red, blue, after painting uh, of Vasily Kandinsky and uh, some mm. some more pieces uh, where I have found a deep inspiration from these specific artworks and I have felt that uh, I even established kind of um, uh, collaboration uh, with this artist who is not anymore alive. I cannot uh, contact him mm. and ask what he thinks about my music, but I, <laughs> and maybe he would not be happy about uh, the way how I have translated these paintings. But uh, yes, I have even found some kind of company in these uh, uh, paintings, in even kind of studying the painter's life, aesthetics, getting closer to specific uh, style and yes finding this translation of sound of uh, colors and uh, uh, shapes and uh, these uh, rhythms of painting in in my music uh, it's this this um, each instrument that embodies uh, some kind of uh, story on it of its own some conceptual character i think uh, it reaches its optimum of greatness uh, in this small opera that was dedicated to Dinas. Mm. Um, it's it's Chamber Mystery Escara Isidams. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, where you were uh, in dialogue with uh, Vera Freiberger, the, who is specialized in in, in, um, in the Dinas, or the interview is on LR, LR3. Um, are you planning someday on writing uh, an opera, a complete opera, maybe longer or, or something? That's also a very good question because I am kind of uh, constantly, not maybe every day, but uh, this kind of wheel is turning in my head already mm-hmm. for almost 20 years. Okay. Opera. <laughs> and. Um, uh, I have to say that uh, uh, yes, I feel that it would be a, maybe the greatest artistic challenge that I could fulfill one day and I have already been planning opera but for practical reasons it uh, did not become true in a more recent past. Uh, but yes, actually it's interesting that I am trying to find this answer what could be my opera, if I would write it, uh, by even um, uh, inquiring in it, I'm teaching a course, opera and music theatre in the 20th, 21st century in Latvian Music Academy, so mm. I am exploring uh, uh, and studying many uh, operas uh, which have been already composed and thinking uh, what could be something that I really resonate per in a personal level? What could be elements that I could uh, kind of uh, borrow and develop in my own way? Um, and generally, I even have an answer. I think my opera would be a choir opera. Okay. <laughs> Oh, my 
that um, opera singer soloists would forgive for my answer but I somehow always find problematic um, this operatic voice expression that it feels for me a bit kind of artificial okay. and um, even this kind of um, um, dialogue about everyday situations, let's say, would you like that I make you a coffee, but in this vibrato way, and then there is an okay. answer later, my darling. <laughs> this is what I always hated with opera. This is the only aspect I don't like with opera, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I hope that uh, my colleagues, opera soloists, for, will forgive me this statement, but really, I don't feel that it would be opera soloists that I would use in my opera. Uh, and uh, what I have really found inspiring is um, uh, productions where uh, Latvian radio choir has participated. Um, mm -hmm. If you know uh, their collaborations with uh, this Hotel Pro Forma, a Danish uh, production company, um, they have uh, made two operas. One is Orpheus. Um, maybe. It will be an occasion to discover, anyway. So, and yeah. another mm -hmm. is Neo-Arctic, where um, uh, also Chris Zausnix has participated as a composer. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, these are, in for my um, aesthetic standards, like perfect operas, where there are no arias, nothing artificial, it is just more metaphoric. Um, movement of scenes, not a plot mm -hmm. with love triangle or this uh, uh, kind of um, uh, more, in my uh, opinion, banal <laughs> plots, but something more metaphorical. And um, yes, I think I'm thinking in that direction that I hope that uh, I could one day collaborate with um, maybe Latvian radio choir or another choir uh, to create uh, opera where probably I would not even need big orchestra maybe it would be just okay. a chamber ensemble maybe something one instrument maybe with electronics maybe it does not need orchestra but yes it would be a choir Okay, I, I understand the kind of mannerism that sometimes is a, some sort of yeah tradition in, in opera, but it's part of, well, I don't know, it's, but it's kind of really difficult uh, to write an opera and to teach at the same times in particular field of, of expertise. I, I find it challenging because maybe you, you would compare yourself or you know too much about it sometimes yeah yes i think that um generally it's always about knowing something very well and then forgetting about it at the moment when Absolutely, inspiration yeah. <laughs> strikes you <laughs> yes. but generally i think it is uh, the kind of fate of composer generally you cannot compose if you have not analyzed enough of great music examples. It is mm. kind of a, a coin with two parts of it. You need this analytical thinking, you need to study scores, but of course you also need kind of um, distancing time from mm. what you know, otherwise you can study a lot of great music and then you can think, oh, I will never be able to create something that is even uh, worth fifth finger of this great composer. Um, yes, so, so I think um, the formula is uh, to analyze to get deep mm -hmm. then to distance yourself from it and then anyway in this subconscious level this knowledge will stay but uh, at one moment you have to let this inspiration to uh, to give you wings and just to fly uh, with knowledge in background but in your inspiration in forefront yeah knowing 
enough but not too much. Exactly. Yes. yes. One of the other uh, thing about your music I found is it has a form of um, special mysticism, but I would say a non-naive mysticism. Um, Maybe linked also to the fact, I, I don't know, that you're a woman. Uh, maybe this is a tough question, but uh, in, especially in your choir works, I feel like there is some some part of quest for something absolute. But Yes, um, I think it is also very true, but you say um, that there and the other people also have said that there is this certain uh, um, part of mysticism in my music. Uh, one of my best friends even said there is a black magic in your music, but not in a bad way that I would mm-hmm. put a bad energy in my music, but there is something kind of this mm-hmm. uh, mystery, magical um, element. And yes, it is not something conscious that I am trying to create or kind of in a manneristic way. Of course, not at all, but I think it is a a part of um, composition process that I try to uh, enter my territories of subconsciousness, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. something that I cannot even formulate in words. And... um, Yes, to some extent it is. it uh, sounds banal, uh, there is this saying where uh, words stop, uh, music <laughs> starts, but I think that music has this power to reach uh, uh, something very archetypical, something that we cannot formulate in uh, words, but something that also the listener, if the composer has uh, tried to reach it, not tried even, uh, has looked searched for it mm-hmm. while composing and um, if you have felt it then to some extent probably I have succeeded in my mm-hmm. <laughs> search for this subconscious archetypical uh, fundaments of our existence or secrets of this world sounds a bit kind of esoteric but I don't mean it in kind of in this trivial yeah this is not an, an explicit research I, yes. I, yeah indeed indeed yes One thing also very striking is, I feel like for your concertos or for some pieces you choose 
some instruments that are kind of unusual or maybe sometimes unknown or underrated. Why is there this uh, particular interest for the accordion? It's... <laughs> Um, speaking generally about uh, my uh, um, search for unusual instruments, I remember it um, even when I was a student in first years of composition department, I was trying always to uh, compose for unusual combinations. I think my maybe I would say Opus One was a piece for voice. Uh, uh, marimba, uh, tam-tam and cello, something that you also don't find so mm -hmm. so frequently. And um, basically it was always my wish to search for new sound. I think that the most uh, challenging uh, piece would be for me to compose, let's say, string quartet, because Mm -hmm. or even solo piano, because so many great pieces have been composed for string quartet or piano solo. To find something that would sound uh, uh, fresh, it's incredibly difficult. I even give up. <laughs> but these unusual combinations uh, give kind of space to still search for this new sound, which is uh, uh, one of the uh, also most um, uh, intriguing elements what I'm trying to um, uh, to find in a composition process. But regarding accordion, um, maybe it will sound funny, but there have been years when I tried to avoid accordion. Um, if you know the uh, ensemble uh, Altera Veritas, no, for two cuoclas, accordion and uh, flute. It is the um, uh, ensemble for which I composed this Van Gogh cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, and the ensemble's idea was to uh, combine instruments that are even associated with folk music, like cuocle, mm -hmm. uh, accordion, which is also at least in these years, late 90s, early 21st century, especially in the context of Latvia, accordion was really thought, okay, it is like an um, instrument for ballrooms and for parties, uh, like countryside parties, but not for contemporary music. And okay, flute is flexible enough, fits in orchestra, but also Irish flutes can be used <laughs> in other contexts mm -hmm. and so. Um, yes, and um, these musicians uh, with whom I also studied in music high school formed this uh, ensemble Altera Veritas, uh, which was a fantastic ensemble in, a, uh, in this sense of searching for a new sound. And they really wanted to, to uh, play contemporary music, uh, pieces that are created exactly, uh, specially for them. And it, it was for me a paradise. Mm -hmm. But still, uh, for the first piece I said uh, to uh, the kuokle player, please, I can compose for kuokle, it's a wonderful instrument, but no accordion, I cannot imagine accordion. <laughs> So my first piece was for flute and uh, two kuokles and um, no accordion. And then there was another piece which I also composed avoiding accordion. And um, then they asked me to compose uh, a third piece after some years and they said, now you need to compose for accordion because it's some like uh, Euro Radio Commission. They want all four of us and I said, okay. <laughs> I will compose also for accordion and then I um, met uh, the accordionist, Aldis Jurisons. Um, actually, he uh, passed away in a very tragic um, accident, car accident at age of 25. And he was actually the um, contemporary accordion pioneer in uh, Latvia. He studied in Moscow with the Grand Masters there in 90s and then he was kind of the first one who brought uh, contemporary music techniques with his mm -hmm. instrument to Latvia. 
And then we had one wonderful meeting when I was really understanding that I have been so silly, so full of stereotypes about this instrument. It is a wonderful instrument. It can sound even as synthesizer, as the most modern instrument ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like a, even a small portable organ. It can play so many things. And from then, I really understood that accordion is uh, fantastic as a solo instrument. Uh, it gives a special touch when there is an ensemble. Uh, you mentioned this Marc Chagall cycle. Um, I was so happy that I can add also accordion to quite traditional instrument combination, which was string quintet and some woodwinds, because accordion actually even replaces electronics with its high frequencies. Mm -hmm. It kind of creates a, a very kind of special uh, orchestrational effect. And then, after some years, I got an offer to compose a concerto for um, a solo instrument that I could freely choose, and symphony orchestra, and then, without much thinking, I, I said I will compose accordion concerto. Uh, because accordion also, to some extent, is like a small orchestra, small organ, which can find uh, a special dialogue with orchestra in my imagination then and I am mm -hmm. happy for for this work that I did it. Yeah, because it covers a, a wide range yes. of, of sound, um, maybe not like a piano, but almost, I don't know. I, but it's quite a demanding instrument about tuning. Can, can you tune an, an accordion in, or... Uh, the others instrument have to get the same tuning like like the accordion actually I have not met this problem yeah. I guess maybe the instrumentalists uh, the accordionists have not mm -hmm. told me <laughs> is it difficult or is it not so difficult but yes I uh, though I remember that they said that they are tuning their instruments two times per year mm-hmm something like this so quite similar to piano 
Um, but yes, there are many wonderful things about accordion. As you mentioned, yes, it basically covers the whole range of piano mm -hmm. with additional registers, registration. It has this uh, smooth uh, attackers, like piano is uh, mm. partly percussive instrument. Absolutely. It, uh, yeah. if, you, mm. if you play a, a, a key, it just starts. But with accordion, you can have this very smooth beginning and it can fade out like very, very smooth. Um, I have a, a cycle for solo accordion then, though I understood that there is a problem if I want a kind of uh, long-lasting changing uh, chord sequences, progressions, then there is a problem that they open this bellow and they close and this is kind of a problem, not problem but challenge to find the moments when there is mm -hmm. this opening of bellows and closing. So accordionists are happy if the composer has thought of it, <laughs> because the sound is not lasting forever. It is uh, for church organ. It is so you play a key, and um, as uh, as long as you are not hungry or you don't have to <laughs> go to bathroom, <laughs> it sounds. <laughs> but with accordion, there is this opening mm -hmm. and closing, mm -hmm. which is a restriction. But otherwise, yes, it's uh, it's a wonderful instrument. Some other um, ensemble that is quite surprising is this 16 double bass piece. Incredible. <laughs> is Was it made uh, because of, as a tribute to Peter Izvask because he, he was playing double bass? Or is it in this cycle? Or is something that came to you, to your mind? Uh, uh, no, actually, it would be quite crazy to compose a piece uh, for 16 double basses, which is uh, probably, I think, there is not a permanent orchestra of 16 double basses existing. Yeah. So, yes, it was a, a commissioned piece mm -hmm. for a very special concert. And um, it was initiated by the first double bass player of Latvian National Symphony Orchestra, Oskars Bokanovs. Uh, who had an idea to um, uh, invite all Latvian double bass players, for example, Gunnar Supatnieks, who is also double bass player in Berlin Symphony Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And there are some other double bass players who are playing also in Czech uh, uh, Republic, in Germany and other European um, countries. Uh, to call them kind of back to Latvian National Symphony Orchestra and to create this great uh, uh, orchestra to show how talented um, double bass players we have. Mm -hmm. And he was also inviting his uh, double bass uh, professor from uh, Prague, who was uh, a teacher of him and some other Latvian double bass players. And uh, yes, so there was this idea of creating this um, unique uh, orchestra of double basses, 16 mm -hmm. double basses, uh, which um, uh, was uh, about to take place in the first year of COVID times. It uh, was um, uh, postponed for unknown time, but it took place <laughs> eventually. So um, it was me and also my uh, husband who composed these very unique uh, uh, pieces for 16 double basses, which was also a great uh, challenge, but it was incredibly interesting because, um, yes, I did not have any score to study uh, for 16 double basses. Mm -hmm. I had to... In from scratch. From a scratch, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, very nice. It's a surprising piece because uh, you don't expect as a preconception these sound on a double bass because usually in an orchestra or in jazz music, maybe not in jazz music, but it's used really for, well, low-end sounds. And then you realize, oh, is it really double bass? It's, you, you can do these sounds with a double bass. Well,
Yes, yeah. exactly. Double pace has uh, uh, wonderful flageolets, which uh, makes uh, double bass to sound as, uh, I would say, muted violin. Mm. Violin that is not bright, but a little bit kind of uh, muted, mm -hmm. cloudy. But uh, it really covers a wide range. And um, this is also the way how I treated the orchestra. It is possible to uh, make kind of full range uh, sounding. It can play very low sounds. It can even play scordatura, which means lower than the <laughs> when the uh, then the lowest string and to go up as high as coloratura soprano. What I note in all these comments is how crucial and important the performers are even on an invitation for a composer and uh, you're not the first composer who mentioned all, all these interactions. Um, in one of your uh, choir work, which is uh, Thistle, we can see on the YouTube um, video all the notations you, you put. How do you work with performers? You let them know the score first and then make some comments and adjustment. You really want to have a dialogue with them. How do you work with, uh, with performers? Generally, in the composition process, my favorite part is the first meeting with a musician with which I start. Mm -hmm. And then rehearsals before the performance. The performance, usually I get stressed and nervous and <laughs> sometimes I get very happy if all goes well, but, um, but it is a bit stressful um, uh, moment when the piece kind of gets born in front of public. But yes, indeed, I start with a meeting of the musician without sketches. And usually I um, uh, record this meeting I have um, created for, uh, for myself, something like an audio bank of different okay. interviews with uh, mm -hmm. musicians where um, they are demonstrating their instrument, so they talk about their instrument and they also play uh, different examples, how it sounds, and um, we start with uh, most common techniques, uh, ending with uh, contemporary techniques, or trying even to invent new technique if I have an idea or a musician has... Uh, sometimes it happens that the musician has practiced and discovered some things and he says, ah, oh, actually nobody has used this thing, maybe if you want, and then he plays. And so for me, it is very important to record this uh, first meeting because um, then I uh, kind of uh, cut um, these parts, which I found the most inspiring. And then I listen to them many times for me listening to the sound which inspires me is kind of um, um, kind of a big bang for me. It's, the ideas really uh, get born when I listen to the sound. Of course, it, my memory is also not so horrible. It's not perfect and not good <laughs> enough. But, uh, but still this live listening, even recording listening, uh, uh, kind of gives me this feeling that, yes, it kind of opens at that moment of listening some um, uh, horizons where I can go with this sound. Mm -hmm. So this is this uh, starting process. Like, yes, th this would be the second step that I uh, understand which sounds or which uh, techniques speak to me the most. Then I listen to them a lot. And at the same time, already the concept gets born. And then I have actually not a note paper, but uh, a little book, which does not have note lines. And then I usually start sketching something, though I don't have painter's talent. My dad uh, used to be an architect and painter, which is also maybe uh, even a hidden inspiration for me. But still, I. Uh, draw for myself some um, some mm -hmm. structures. I also even write some little 
story which might be quite abstract but sometimes even not so abstract sometimes even quite concrete and then kind of I get this uh, this uh, idea of the piece even how it could go from A till Z and and then uh, I start sketching some things and sometimes it is interesting that uh, uh, this initial shape that I have developed, this I initial idea, sometimes when I dive in this material, in this sound, can go in totally different directions. So maybe initial idea turns into totally different idea, but still I need this sketching of something very concrete and then I feel I can start working. It's almost like some methods that could be used by a concrete music um, composer but instead of sound field sound you you have a source of this raw material is defined by the dialogue with the performers it's uh, really fascinating okay yes the sound is fascinating also the personality of the performer mm -hmm. for uh, me, it is uh, very important to meet also a person, kind of to have a feeling of him or her. And um, yes, if, if it is a specific commission, if uh, this person asks me for a piece, I really want to dedicate the piece for him or her as for the musician and as for a personality. And do you... Uh work also um, with sound engineers for these particular reasons to maybe some of the sounds need some specific sound takes? Not exactly, I kind of, though my husband is actually um, um, composer as me who, who can compose for uh, symphony orchestra and chamber music but he is also a great uh, electronic music composer mm -hmm. i try still to do things uh, on my own uh, because yes two composers in the same house sometimes can lead to <laughs> thunderstorm so uh, i try to uh, do things uh, myself sometimes um, my husband helps with um, processing some final recording of the piece mm -hmm. when the piece has been finalized or when I have finished my score I might show it to him and, uh, and uh, welcome him to say some comments but in the process uh, it's a bit fragile. About sound uh, textures uh it, it would be cheesy, in a sense, to say that you could have been influenced by Xenakis. Well, because, as I mentioned, you live in Greece, but uh, am I wrong to think that's, that's the case? Or is, is it not an influence sometimes? In some, some textures in, uh, in strings, it's uh, very extreme sounds on, on some strings, in some, some of your pieces. Yes, M my husband would love your observation. He said, you became better composer when you moved to Greece. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, of course, I think that also in this uh, un subconscious level, mm -hmm. uh, we are very much influenced from environment where mm -hmm. we live. Uh, it was um, actually, I remember uh, American composer George Crumb uh, who was uh, a great idol for me when I w started composing and I read in one of his interviews that he said uh, something that I also totally agree that uh, uh, the place where we grow up uh, really influences our musical uh, perception and our um, just perception of musical time space so much that we are not aware of it but it is there um, and um, yes, for sure, Greece is very different from Latvia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes uh, Latvian composers are labeled to uh, um, uh, for um, having too romantic, too slow pieces, not to have these very bright contrasts, uh, which 
I am not always 100% agreeing to it, but more mm. or less maybe there is this spirit of, let's say, this smooth development, um, something that is more meditative rather mm -hmm. than having these harsh uh, contrasts and... Yeah, depends on the generation, what I discover yes. with his interviews, it's now very various things. Yeah. Exactly, but uh, Greece, yes, it is, uh, it's hot, it's, there is so much stone, there is such a translucence of sea, waters and uh, yeah, the soundscape if you go to countryside in latvia or countryside of greece mm -hmm. it's very different these loud cicadas which uh, as you mentioned correctly are pres pres present in xenakis music which is also actually interesting because uh, xenakis was um, so abstract and mathematic in his musical thinking, he was not trying uh, consciously to illustrate something. Uh, but for example, in his choral piece Nui, mm -hmm. um, which is dedicated to the victims of the war, you can really hear these um, bulletins that he heard in the war time, which he also uh, explains later uh, that uh, if you hear one bullet it is something very s specific concrete but if there are uh, thousands of bullets uh, being shot next to you you just hear this sound mass and the same uh, about cicadas you don't hear one of them but this mm. sound cloud uh, in Latvia, countryside, you can also hear these sound masses, masses but it's uh, different, it's much more smooth, these grasshoppers, some flies and... Damped by the, the forest. Yes, it is much more smooth mm -hmm. and it's not this screaming <laughs> uh, sound, this hot climate which is in Greece, which uh, I think has... Uh, added to my music more bright colors mm -hmm. subconsciously but um, yes i think i have probably uh, added to my latvian smoothness these <laughs> bright um, sounds yeah i didn't mention it but i feel like there is a lot of contrast in your music and uh, apart from xenakis who, um, who compose which composers do you consider that influenced you um, yes, as I mentioned before, George Crumb, mm -hmm. and actually um, um, this um, idea what you mentioned before about this uh, searching for mystery or, or this mm -hmm. mystical element in my music, I think generally it comes uh, from him because he also searches for these depths of uh, human uh, history, human uh, soul, in very symbolic, archetypical level, so I think that it might be related to him. Um, then um, Ligeti, of course, mm. um, his the building of textures, also um, this. I find his music also very. Um, uh, abstract but at the same time visual uh, I kind of really mm -hmm. visualize his music as a very abstract but beautiful painting when I listen to it but his textural thinking is very close to how I find the sound and also ge generally the search for a new sound is uh, something that strikes me in Ligeti yes Xenakis as well and from older composers, um, um, Stravinsky and Bartok, I think. Last years I have found myself also very much inspired by folk music. And um, mm -hmm. I think the way how Bartok and Stravinsky treats uh, folk material is also something that I have uh, been influenced by very much. So you, okay, yeah, I understand about Bartok and the almost ethnographic works right. he made. So I suppose you enjoy uh, Brahms as well, maybe? Um, Brahms, uh, 
uh, I have to say that probably it is uh, my future uh, research still on Brahms. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I have listened to his um, pieces, of course, especially I like his uh, piano at intermezzos. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, I feel that um, maybe when I will uh, become a little bit older, I will start loving him more and more. He has not yet been, let's say, my composer, but uh, yes. Older, Bob. You're not that old. You were born in <laughs> 77, which is one of the best years, because this is where I was born as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> so how, how did you um, become a composer? Uh, step after step who, who were the people who matter on on your road to uh, to this uh, in, during this process well i was born in um, i would say a culture loving family mm. uh, my parents though they were not professional musicians they were passionate uh, choir singers Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad, as I mentioned before, uh, was also an architect and a painter. M- my sister is a professional pianist and a piano teacher. And uh, my granddad um, used to be a composer and uh, a teacher as well. And uh, his brother, uh, which was also a very influential figure for me, uh, was one of the greatest exile Latvian poets, uh, incredibly poetic and inspirational personality, who lived in uh, America. But I was even as a child corresponding with him, and uh, he was kind of a big figure for me. Uh, and um, uh, yes, so I would think of my family as not just Latvian, but also this exile Latvian who lives in America. I have also wonderful um, my mother's cousins who are musicians and um, very cultural uh, people as well who mm-hmm. have inspired me a lot. And uh, yes, I remember as a child I was admiring my sister playing uh, piano and I just thought I want the same so I asked my parents who decided that their youngest child should do something more practical and they did not think that I should become a musician and I was attending Riga first gymnasium which was a school of mathematics which was not easy for me at all generally I was hating that school (laughs) So, and I was asking my parents, actually, please bring me to music school as well, because I want to play piano as my older sister. So they brought me there and I was doing fine, but I would not say that I was, let's say, super bright talent or something like this. I remember actually myself more um, uh, writing uh, poems, writing some stories, actually. Uh, might be interesting for you to uh, to know that in this year uh, my debut uh, literature book will be published. Oh, also okay. okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so finally, maybe literature will <laughs> start to be more present in my life. So uh, yes, last years I have been starting to to write more, mm-hmm. which is more like prose poems and. Uh, uh, something that starts looking as a storybook has been formed during mm-hmm. last years. So, yes, time to, for, to welcome literature in my life as well. But yes, I modulated from, <laughs> from your question uh, about family. Yes, so it is my cultural background, rich enough, which allowed uh, me to uh, go towards uh, composition, which was really not so direct path because, as I mentioned, uh, my parents were not thinking that I will become a composer or musician at all, but it was my own initiative to follow this path. Uh, Then I entered music high school, but still I was not so sure, will I be a musician? And then I started attending um, um, acting, theatre acting uh, courses. 
thinking that I might uh, become an actress. And then I entered um, Latvian Culture Academy, theater uh, acting department. Mm -hmm. It was incredibly interesting year. Maybe it will help my future opera. <laughs> because I learned many things, but then I understood, no, not theatre acting. So I went back to music and then I entered composition department of Music Academy and then somehow um, the path just started to flow and I understood more and more that it is my way. And would you would you consider among your teachers to be someone who matters or some kind of master if 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 a question is relevant um, there have been few of them mm -hmm. uh, first of all uh, a composition teacher uh, Tamara Kalna uh, who is uh, actually a mom of Inga Kalna the famous opera singer mm -hmm. Um, she was my composition teacher in high school and solfege teacher, incredibly charismatic personality. Um, and she was um, uh, teaching really how to work with your material. She was actually having a great sense of humor, sometimes a little bit black. Sometimes I came to her and she just took a very big uh, razor and started just to erase everything and <laughs> she was laughing at the same time, but in a way that you cannot get mad at her. She was really just saying, what are you writing? <laughs> Nobody writes like this nowadays. <laughs> and then she showed some analysis and we explored more contemporary harmonic uh, chord progressions and she said, no, leave this old stuff. We don't compose like this anymore. <laughs> And uh, though it sounds a little bit like authoritative, but it was kind of what I needed in that time, yes, kind yes. of to break, mm -hmm. okay, in a bit kind of harsh but humorous <laughs> way, my stereotypes, which are very strong for a teenager. And, um, and yes, she developed this kind of ability to uh, self-analyze what you have just written, to work with kind of what we call in Latvian thematiskas grauts, thematic um, seed, how to develop, mm -hmm. how to mm -hmm. understand where the material leads itself. So it was very, very good uh, background and um, kind of uh, uh, basis. Then I would say that a very big figure for me was also my first uh, husband, who is uh, not among us anymore, unfortunately, Imant's Mezhiropes. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, was my um, uh, teacher in high school and when I graduated, uh, we became a couple and uh, uh, we became uh, parents of uh, our and my only son, who was also a very big breaking point for my life in the best way. Uh, but yes, he was much older than me, almost 20 years, though he was always very young in his spirit and he did not look 20 years uh, older than me, but he was very experienced. Actually, he was uh, uh, a student of George Crumb and he introduced me to many uh, of his scores and his musical language was also, let's say, something that was not present in Latvian music life in 90s, yet he had this, let's say, this world spirit, world knowledge and uh, I was um, studying a lot of his scores when I was uh, uh, staying with baby at home and uh, he was kind of a big mentor for me mm. and um, also of course uh, Peteris Plakidis who was my professor in Latvian Music Academy in totally different way uh, I would say that he as a personality was incredibly charismatic, he was so creative, he was so special. He was not really like a teacher of composition. When I uh, came to him with my sketches, uh, he said to me, 
Gundaga, everything is wonderful. And with the other hand, he was already closing the sketch. <laughs> Go home, <laughs> continue, everything is wonderful. <laughs> and then I went to a um, uh, library of Latvian Music Academy. We already had, it was the beginning of 21st century, it was something new that we had first ligatee scores arriving to the library and I was just patiently listening, uh, uh, analyzing and uh, even sometimes bringing some analysis to Peteris. Uh, and he was kind of curious, oh, okay, but maybe not so much in contemporary music. Uh, but uh, what was very interesting uh, that many composition lessons we spent uh, by analyzing um, music from 19th century, Sibelius, also Brahms, uh, Mahler, symphonies. He was a fantastic orchestrator, a specialist of orchestra history, and uh, he brought my attention to things that I would not think they are important in, let's say, making this sound or um, some very specific orchestrational details. We, we were reading from scores, some parts, and I remember these moments as the best moments in my Music Academy times. It was exactly to be my next question. It's that um, I, I tried to imagine the uh, fresh hair it was when USSR ends and there is all this music that has been some kind of forbidden during 50 years of occupation and um, the, the changes of point of view and culture goes very fast from one generation to another for people who are 45 and 35 or 20 now it's super different very quickly uh, I think it was about the same for Andris Zenitis to have a possibility to gather all this music uh, coming uh, and, and getting these new inspirations Yes, indeed, it was uh, so mm. special mm -hmm. time and we were to some extent, I would say, lucky to be these icebreakers mm -hmm. in the context of Latvian uh, music uh, to bring new aesthetics, to bring these world influences. We were also the first generation who were able to go abroad to attend summer master classes. It was something so special for mm -hmm. us and um, there was really this feeling that we are kind of coming with something new, something fresh. There was this excitement and not in a way that we would have, let's say, high nose and we would say, yes, you old ones, you did not understand anything and now mm. we show you. <laughs> not at all like this, but um, because anyway, uh, as I am also teaching um, Baltic uh, contemporary music uh, in Latvian Music Academy, I also have um, been uh, uh, researching about this, let's say, modernism tendencies uh, arriving in Baltic states, which are not exactly only 90s. Generally, I think that the breaking point was the festival Warsaw Autumn in uh, Poland. The Poland was, let's say, to some extent semi-liberal in sense of, uh, let's say, mm -hmm. the Soviet regime mm -hmm. uh, country, where within this festival, um, the West and the East met. And this was the place where also many Latvian composers got these first Western influences, like uh, Peteris Vasks, as he also has mentioned, actually, that he has been influenced by George Crumb. Uh, I don't know, did he really listen mm. to George Crumb in Warsaw Autumn, but I assume so. Uh, I can even find some very direct influences in some of his uh, uh, works. But it was generally this meeting point of some Western influences that came to uh, Baltic states already in the 70s. Uh, Iman Zemzaris, who also has some minimalism, uh, 
uh, in his music also probably uh, through influences uh, uh, from pieces heard in this Warsaw autumn. Um, yes, so it is not so black and white that Soviet times mm -hmm. just Soviet music and then uh, sure, um, sure. 90s totally different world. So there were some uh, some some small breezes of of West already in Soviet times. And uh, the, this particular moment was in which year? In during the eighties. During the seventies. During the seventies. Mm -hmm. Yes, we can observe already mm -hmm. in um, early pieces of Peter Svasks these um, these more Western influences, I would say, along of course with Polish great composers as uh, Witold Lutoslavski, uh, mm -hmm. also Penderecki. Mm -hmm. who have been generally, in my view, great uh, influence for also Latvian uh, music. So this is something that is a field of research in your work as a teacher, if yes. I understand? Okay, yes. so it was a good question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it all the good reason to be a good, a good question. Mm -hmm. My last question, that is for all the guests, is... Uh, as far as you can remember in your childhood, uh, what is the first memory related to sound or music? Yes, I remember <clears throat> uh, in my childhood's house, which was in the very center of Riga, uh, the neighbor house was the building of uh, addition company and the edition company which also made the printing so ba basically mm -hmm. uh, i remember in my childhood the sound of printing machine but um, not as not as um, it is not similar to the contemporary <laughs> printer it was kind of um, continuous kind of a bit dull but perpetual movement of machine uh, which I associate with uh, a bit grayish, bluish color. Okay. That's beautiful. It's uh, okay. Thank you very much for being with us. It was a very uh, mindful uh, interview, in my opinion. If uh, you find this program interesting, please drop a like, subscribe, share on social network. It's the best way to help the growth of this channel. And we will see you there very soon. Goodbye. Thank you. <laughs>